Today on episode one of the Fifth Day State podcast, I'll be talking about a recent post by Reignite Democracy Australia about lodging an application to deal with a dispute with the Fair Work Commission and sharing my thoughts on whether that is a good thing or bad thing to do. And if it is a bad thing, what there is to do in the alternative. And I'll also be talking about a possible false flag event that is coming to Victoria to help justify the new pandemic bill that is before Parliament. So, Without further ado, let's get on with the show. Thank you for joining me here. Uh, my name is Cameron Blewett and this is the Fifth Estate Podcast. Now, kicking off today's Show is my thoughts on a recent post in YouTube video by Reignite Democracy Australia on how to lodge a dispute application with the Fair Work Commission. And it started like this. Good evening, everyone. I am so excited to share this with you because we have found a way and put the work in to give you the resources so that you as the individual, as the employee, can apply to the Fair Work Commission to help you with dispute resolution. Now, I will admit when I heard this that, you know, I was a little bit sceptical. Uh, that is because the uh, quality of the information that has been coming out from Reignite Democracy Australia has been, shall we say, uh, lacking. Uh, and for an organisation that supposedly has in-house counsel uh, that, uh, you know, I, I do uh, have serious concerns about the quality of information that is being put out. So, uh, you know, as I said, I was a bit sceptical. And then my scepticism was realised when the video continued with this. So if you are having a dispute within your workplace regarding mandatory medical procedures or giving someone your personal medical information, you are absolutely eligible to put in a claim to the Fair Work Commission. Now, let me just start by saying here, before I go any further, that what Monica has said here is wrong. The Fair Work Commission has limited jurisdiction to, to deal with a company-mandated medical procedure, though that would be more along the lines of lack of consultation, not for a dispute resolution, and which obviously is not what um, RDA is proposing. And it has no jurisdiction to deal with a dispute about handing over medical, uh, personal medical information. So with that, uh, my hopes were well and truly dashed and I'm not going to play there anything else from the rest of the clip. I'll just go through some of the um, comments and, and discussions and, and what my thoughts are. So now getting back to that. Now, yes, the Fair Work Commission is set up to deal with disputes, though it can only deal with disputes uh, when there is a dispute resolution clause in a particular industrial instrument. So these industrial instruments are a modern award, an enterprise agreement, or your uh, your employment contract, or any any sort of agreement that you have with the employer. So it's between the employee and the employer. If there is no dispute resolution clause, and there is nothing in that dispute resolution clause that says you can refer it to the Fair Work Commission, then there is nothing that the Fair Work Commission can do about it, and your matter will be dismissed. So. And I think people need to make that bit clear and, and understand that bit. So now going back to the um, mandated medical procedures, now if it is a company one, 
the, and there's no um, consultation, which there has to be because it's a major workplace change. Now there needs to be consultation. That period of consultation could be obviously depending on – it needs to be reasonable for the size of the workforce. So what is reasonable is entirely up to the commission, uh, the member, if there was uh, concerns about that. Though it you know it normally goes down the process of sending an email out to saying to everyone, hey, we're going to change our company policy. This is what we're going to do. We're going to have an information and feedback session on why we think this pol- this change of policy needs to happen. So, for example, for a company mandated procedure that put out saying, okay, this is why we think we need to do it. Here's allowing for feedback. This is what happens. This is how you can um, have an exemption to it and things like that. Now, with Victoria, now I'm only dealing with Victoria here because that's where I am at the moment. I will admit I haven't looked too hard or too much further into anything else that is going on in the other states. Uh, so I'm just, just dealing with Victoria. The difficulty here with this information, and remember, Monica is Victoria as well, so there will be a lot of people in Victoria looking to her for information. So the problem with that, this isn't company mandated policy. This is a government, a state government policy. And the you can lodge as many disputes as you want. The Fair Work Commission has no jurisdiction on dealing with a state policy, a state direction, legislation, regulation, whatever it is. So going back, following the, the, the process. So let's say you've uh, initiated the dispute resolution process and you're taking it. You're not going to go through the, the steps that are normally in most awards about going through um, your employee representative talking to management, um, going through that, but you're going to take it straight to the commission. Okay, you take it straight to the commission. So you've lodged the dispute and you've notified the company of a dispute. So what happens is the status quo remains. So for most employees, uh, you'd have to have at least one jab. So if you haven't had one jab, then you're off on annual leave, personal leave, unpaid leave. So you lodge a dispute. Bang, the status quo. So whatever happens, whatever whatever conditions were going on prior to that dispute being lodged, that stays. So that stays for the duration until it goes through the commission and the commission decides or the dispute is settled. So you're there. Okay, let's say you're on um, annual leave. You're on annual leave. So you lodge the dispute, you're still on annual leave. Two or three weeks later or whatever happens, however long it takes to get through to the commission to deal with that dispute, you're still on annual leave. Both parties get involved. The the member, depending on, on uh, the seniority of the member, the member will be there saying, okay, how do we settle this? The employee will say, well, I don't want to get jabbed. The employer will say, well, I don't want you to get jabbed either. Unfortunately, there's state government directions that says that you need to have either one jab. By that time, it'll be double jabbed or you need to provide an exemption. If you don't provide any of them, then I have to consider you as being unjabbed. If you're unjabbed, the directions say that you cannot attend the workplace. What else is there to do? The There's, there's no way for the, the commission. What is the commission going to do? Say, okay, yep, all right, I understand that, that that person doesn't want to get jabbed. Well, they do. They, you know, it's their human right, whatever it is, whatever things that, that are going on there to not get jabbed. Okay direct the uh, employer to say, all right, you have to let them return to work. Well, they can't because if the commission directs them to get that employee to return back to work, well, then the commission is directing them to break a state law. Now, I understand 
that the directions are not like the directions from the chief chief health chief health officer are not law though failing to follow the directions is law you know is a breach of, of the public health and well-being act so th- what happens from that there's there's no chance of, of settling that dispute because both have their views there's there's no middle ground so what happens the commission can't deal with that dispute so bang it goes now the other bit about uh handing over personal medical information now uh this in-house counsel uh for rda turned around and said that the handing over that was varying the terms of your employment contract now that's not essentially true um because what most switched on employee employers would be doing is asking for that to satisfy the directions they're not saying hey you can't be employed here if you can't if you don't hand over that information no what they'd be saying is hey we need this information to allow you to to, to attend the workplace if you don't hand it over you can't attend the workplace that's it plain and simple uh and and that's from the state government so from there uh what is there to do the the, the commission will look at that and say well bang no there's nothing you can do about it um same as an unfair dismissal application uh for that uh if any employer turns around and says well hey you know your employment has been terminated because you um haven't been single jabbed or double jabbed or whatever it is at that point in time honestly they uh i think that they deserve everything coming to them uh what i believe most employers would be doing now is terminating people on the grounds of not being able to feel fulfill the inherent requirements of the role now that uh does get a little bit more uh tricky there because what happens with that is that you know as an employer you expect your employees to turn up if your employees can't turn aren't turning up then they're not filling the requirements of the role which for most roles is for you attend the workplace now it is up to the employee how they decide to do it but they need to be able to the company needs to be able to comply with the directions from the chief health officer to allow that employee to turn up if they don't well then there's that's the thing what can they do um so you know this is thing and and uh if an employee is in, is terminated for not being able to fulfill the inherent requirements of the role that's going to make things very very awkward to uh to deal with to uh to go through the process because you can lodge an unfair dismissal application for that and you know it, it will be deemed as being fair it won't be deemed as being a harsh or unjust or unreasonable termination because you know you you've given every opportunity according to government directions so this is the same thing is that uh you you know if you employ a truck driver uh and they lose their license they can't refill you know they can't drive a truck anymore they can't do that unless you can find something else for them to do in that well then you know there is the depending on how the termination took place the termination could be viewed as being fair because they know that they're there as, to be employed as a truck driver if they can't drive the truck then they can't do their job if they can't do their job well what is there for them to do um so that's the thing you know i um i i think that with that it, it, it's a bad thing you need to keep everything that you're doing out of the commission because the the fair work commission is essentially powerless to deal with what is happening at the moment uh this i know um 
DP Dean put that uh, dissenting review, uh, dissenting opinion on a recent full bench case case uh, about that that gave people some hope. Now, unfortunately, the establishment has got to DP Dean and that uh, she has been sent for retraining. Now, whether I mean, and, you know, they've made it clear that she's not going to be on any uh, full bench decisions or any decisions relating to uh, a vaccination because of her views. Um, so, you know, essentially that is telling her that, you know, she's got to pull the head in and toe the party line. Uh, otherwise, you know, that's it. Um, so unfortunately there's that. There's not much that the, the commission can do because this is a state thing. Now it is state mandated and, you know, it. it the, 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 there's no, honestly, I, I don't think that there's any chance of any, of these matters getting up in the Fair Work Commission. Now, I'm not going to say that there's none because there could be one that slips through on something that I haven't thought of. Uh, so who knows about that? Now, before I, I continue, I just want to make it clear that none of this was legal advice. Now, I'm not a lawyer. Um, I have been dealing in with the industrial relations sphere for, oh, I think, probably close to 15 years now. So, uh, you know, I'm, I'm fairly confident in my knowledge and understanding of the Fair Work Act and different modern awards and how it uh, applies to uh, what the situations that we're going through now. And uh, yes, as I said before, I'm not a lawyer. Uh, so take that with a grain of salt if you want, uh, though I do recommend that you uh, trust, but, but, trust but verify. Uh, double check everything that I've said. Don't trust an RDA lawyer. Um, because that, because they're not giving you legal advice, they're just giving you general information, same as what I am. You know, it's just general information. How you want to take it is entirely up to you. Um, but my thoughts are stay away from anything that RDA says. Um, I seem to think, I think that they're uh, sending people down the garden path, giving people false hope. And, you know, when, uh, when it comes to it, um, you know, very little of what is going on is going to be able to uh, stop what is happening. Now, I'm not saying that we can't. Uh, I genuinely believe that we can. I just don't think that the saviour is going to come from political parties or organisations like um, Reignite Democracy Australia. Uh, it needs to come from the individual. Now, I did promise at the start of the show that I would offer alternatives on what people can do if they're in the situation where they don't want to get their jab and they've got an employer who is uh, happy for them to maintain that position. Now, if you have a look, now everything relates to the Public Health and Wellbeing Act 2008. Now, the directions come from section, oh, let me flick through, I think it's section 200. No, section 198. Okay, Section 198 allows the Minister on the advice of the Chief Health Officer and after consultation with the Minister and the Emergency Management Commissioner under the Emergency Management Act 2013 to declare a state of emergency arising out of any circumstances causing a serious risk to public health. Now, this that bit there is what gives the Chief Health Officer the authorization to... Um, uh, that triggers a state of emergency. Section 199, Chief Health Officer may authorise uh, exercise of certain powers. Now, that is giving the Chief Health Officer the authorization to do these. Section 200 is the emergency powers. Now, 
the bit that I believe people should be looking at now, as I said, this is only general advice. I don't know about your circumstances or anything like that, but if there was John Smith there who uh, didn't want to go through that process and uh, John Smith's uh, employer, uh, Acme Widgets Proprietary Limited, which is a fake company, and if there isn't a company that is called Acme Widgets, my apologies to them. Uh, this is not referring to anything that they may have done or will do or could be doing. So, <coughs> oh, pardon me. Uh, now, Section 204 of the Public Health and Wellbeing Act is where a person who suffers a loss as a result of a decision by the Chief Health Officer to give an authorization to an authorised officer under this division may apply to the Secretary for compensation if the person considers that there were insufficient grounds for the giving of that authorization. Now, what um, John Smith would be doing or should be doing is writing a letter off to the Secretary of the Department of Health. Now, I'm not sure who it is at the moment, so I can't even tell you how to do that, but I'm sure if you go to the Department of Health website, health.vic.gov.au or something along those lines, you'll be able to find who that is and then um, send off that letter. Now, also be aware, if the Secretary, this is subsection 2, if the Secretary decides that there were insufficient grounds for the giving of an authorization to an authorised officer under this division, the Secretary is to pay just and reasonable compensation to the applicant. Now, it is up to the Secretary to decide what is just and reasonable compensation, and it also is up to the Secretary to decide if there were insufficient grounds. Now, um, John Smith writes his letter off to the secretary, 28 days pass, which is the specified period of time that the secretary either has to respond to you or it's taken that the uh, secretary is taken to have refused to pay compensation if they haven't got back to you within 28 days. So from there, you can head off to VCAT and uh, make an application for review. Now, the application for review must be made within 28 days of the date of which the decision is made or the day on which you were notified under subsection 6, which says that the secretary must inform each applicant for the payment of compensation in writing of the applicant's right to apply to VCAT for review. Now, that is what, um, you know, John Smith being a switched-on person that he is, would be doing that. He'll be having a look at that, applying to the secretary for compensation, uh, and going through that motion now, knowing that the secretary is going to say no, okay, applies to VCAT for review. So how does that help John Smith with not getting the jab and John Smith's employer Acme Widgets? Now, the interesting part is Section 203 of the Public Health and Wellbeing Act says compliance with direction or other requirement. Now, subsection 1, a person must not refuse or fail to comply with a direction given to the person or a requirement made of the person in the exercise of a power under an authorization given under section 199. It talks about penalty in case of a natural person, 120 penalty units. In the case of a body corporate, 600 penalty units. Where this letter to the secretary and the or the application to VCAT could come in handy, subsection 2. A person is not guilty of an offence against subsection 1 if the person had a reasonable excuse for refusing or failing to comply with the direction or requirement. Now, as I said, I'm not a lawyer. I do not know what your situation is. I do not know what you're going to be doing. I do not know anything about that. I'm just talking about this person, John Smith, 
with their uh, what they're going through. So if John Smith has written a letter off to the secretary seeking compensation for the unjust or uh, the un uh, insufficient grounds for the chief health officer to make a decision uh, mandating the jabbing of people, then as you know, that's the thing. Well, you don't know if the you've said that the um, chief health officer has insufficient grounds. Well, until you get an answer, you don't know whether they are or they aren't. So how can you comply with something if you don't know whether there is sufficient grounds with it? So that could come down to being a a defence under that section of the Act. So it could be said that that is a reasonable excuse because you've sought confirmation from the Secretary or you're getting confirmation from VCAT whether the Chief Health Officer has sufficient grounds for doing that. So if it comes out that the Chief Health Officer doesn't have sufficient grounds for doing that, passing that direction or whatever that authorisation is or, or you know anything relating to that, well then how can you be expected to comply with it? Whether that works or not, I'm not sure. As I said, I'm not a lawyer. I'm not telling you what to do. I'm just saying that this is information that if you are going down that path, that I would be looking at that and talking to your own um, legal advisor to get information on that. So, but anyway, I'm not going to spend too much more time on that one. So I thought, you know, but th this is the thing. We need to leave that, read that, take things into our own hands and do it ourselves. Um, I will include all that information in the show notes on this. So I will get to that later on. So uh, what else is there? I think that's about all to that one. So I'm going to move on to the next one, which is a false flag event. Okay, so here we are with uh, a part of the show that, you know, I've thought about this one for a couple of days about whether I should um, do something or say something about it. Uh, you know, I have decided to. Um, I'm sure that people are going to discredit this as being the work of a conspiracy theorist. Who knows whatever. Uh, you know what? i really not concerned with that at the moment because I think that this stuff needs to be said. Uh, it needs to be put out there right from the start uh, that, uh, you know, that there is something coming and everyone in Victoria is being set up. Uh, whether it, uh, you know... I. I'm going to say it's going to be a false flag event because I believe that it is going to be someone that, <coughs> pardon me, uh, has been set up or someone that has been, um, you know, told to do it. So whether it's an actor or, or um, someone like that, I don't know. But I, I believe something is coming. It's going to justify what comes next or is going to be used as a catalyst for what's coming next. Now, um, you know, we all need to be aware of it. We need to um, oppose any sort of violence. If anyone starts mentioning any sort of violence at any of these protests, walk away. Walk away because if you get involved in it, I mean, um, for those who watch um, international news and everything like that, uh, you've seen what the media done has done in the US about what happened on the 6th of January uh, with the um, <clears throat> uh, group of protesters who went through a parade through the Capitol building. Now, um, you know, the media has lied continuously about it. Uh, there's more and more information coming out that um, it could have been actually started by the FBI. 
Um, but hey, you know, I'll let you do your own homework on that one. Um, but you know, you, you can't trust anything that comes from the government. You can't trust anything that you see in the media, and the media is setting up people or setting up the the compliant ones um, around in the me- in the um, in the state or even internationally to accept. Well, hey. You know what? This is what you know. This is what we need to do to stop this. We saw this um, with the uh, protest that went down to the shrine. Now they were herded down there. Um, they were herded down to the shrine by the police, and then all of a sudden, you know, the um, SOG comes out and everything like that, anti-terrorist squads, and they start firing uh, rubber bullets and pepper balls and things like that. Now that should never have happened. Never, there was no need for it. It was a completely uh, excessive use of force by the Victoria Police, and I would like to see them held accountable for it. Uh, I know it won't happen while this regime is uh, in power. I do hope, and it happens when the next one uh, gets done, that there is a full and open. I mean, I'd love to see a royal commission, though royal commissions are very um, uh, hamstrung by their terms of reference. Uh, maybe it needs to be a parliamentary inquiry. Uh, whether that can get to the bottom of it, who knows? Uh, so anyway, before I go down that uh, wormhole, uh, let's go back to what this uh, this false flag false flag event is. Now I'm sure we've all seen the footage of uh, Professor Brett and uh, the um, I'm not going to call him what his what he thinks his title is. Um, you know, the, the the former dude who used to play with trains, uh, walking down the steps of Parliament and facing um, some people shouting at him. Now, that uh, combined with the um, disrupted uh, talk by Daniel Andrews, now, they were both planned events. And what do I mean by planned? Well, that was deliberately done. Those two deliberately walked down the steps of Parliament. That was a deliberate act. They were walked down the steps of Parliament to get a reaction out of the crowd. Now, before you say, oh, you know, that's a conspiracy. Well, tell me, you can't, I mean, how many doors and secret entrances and back entrances and tunnels and all that sort of stuff do you think are in Parliament House? Why would those two need to walk down the street knowing that there was a protest at the front? If that's what they decided to do, whoever the police escort was with them needs to be sacked uh, because there was no way. You would say, yep, hey, that's fine. Let's just walk down the front steps while there's an anti-pandemic um, bill protest going on the, at the front. Now, it, 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 it is seriously, it is a joke. It is laughable. Now, the same thing goes with Daniel Andrews. Now, uh, where am I going with that one? Okay, yep. So I just want to play this a little bit about the reason why Daniel Andrews' protest was, um, uh, sorry, Daniel Andrews' speech was cut short police were concerned about anti-vaccination protesters. Now, that's the thing. They weren't anti-vaccination protesters. Now, what is an anti-vaccination protester? Uh, In the old days, it used to be anyone that uh, was against any of the jabs in the arm. Nowadays, it seems to be anyone that is opposed to or questioning the series of jabs now that the government is mandating. So times have changed, and as these organisations do and these regimes do, they change definitions. They change how things are defined to suit their own agenda. Um, now, so, but this is the thing. Now, if you have a look at that footage on that, 
I believe that that um, I I won't say that that was deliberately done. I think that that was incompetence by um, Danny Landry's security team. Um, because if you have a look at it, the car was parked on the street. He's gone for a walk from the front door to the street uh, to get in the car. Now, there were protesters out there. They weren't herded away. They weren't kept um, an arm's length from from them or anything. Now, just excuse me for a minute. Oh, that's a bit better. I just had to have a bit of a drink there. Um, so where was I? Yes, there wasn't a clear... Uh, clear way. Um, the car could have been taken around the back of the facility. Any uh, close prote- personal protection detail worth half their salt would have had multiple exits planned, multiple contingencies um, on, you know, if this happens, we do this. If that happens, we do that. This exit we can use, that exit we can use. Oh, no, okay. And then you have a look. You know, they walk out. The person that Daniel Andrews is with doesn't know what door she's going to get into. She's gone to the back door, stopped. The driver of the vehicle has gone and opened the back door. Then Andrews has got in, the, the person's got in, and then the driver's walked around to the car and then they've trundled off. That is, like, that is absolutely woeful um, because, you know, I'm, I'm sure we've watched enough Secret Service movies uh, to see that, no, you know, there is always, the, the driver is always in the vehicle because if something happens, the car needs to go. Um, you know, if, if there was something, a genuine threat against Andrews at that time, all you had to do was take the driver out and then gone, you know, he's there and you know, it, it is, it, I'd like to say is if it's incompetence by Victoria police, though with the amount of money that they've spent on everything else, I can't see that it would be. I think it is a deliberate action now. Um, you know, and then you combine that with, and I'll, I'll include the photo of that, um, what I'm talking about next in the show notes. Uh, but you have a look at Daniel Andrews when he was laying his wreath um, on the, the steps, I think it was at the War Memorial on uh, Remembrance Day a couple of days ago. You have a close look at his jacket. I believe that he was wearing probably NIJ 2 or 2A body armor under that. Now, NIJ is the uh, 2 or 2A, is only um, low-velocity ammunition, so it'll only sort of stop something from maybe a handgun. Uh, but, you know, having a look at the back of his jacket, like the 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 way his jacket stretch is pulled straight doesn't match the contours of a normal body. Now, uh, happy to be proven absolutely wrong on that one, though I believe that he's uh, he's wearing some sort of protection under there, whether it's a stab vest or an NLJ2 or 2A body armor. Well, that remains to be seen, but he's got something light under his um, under his jacket there. Uh, and, you know, that was a controlled environment. That would have been, uh, you know, everyone would have been vetted going in. It would have been mixing with general members of the public and all that sort of stuff. So... Um, you know, it, it's interesting to see what's happening from there. Now, going on to these other bits is that uh, we're being set up. Um, I believe that the media is setting up Victoria for something to happen, um, especially when you have a look at the uh, the alleged threats there and abuse that has been thrown against or, or leveled against or received by the three crossbenchers. Now, two of the crossbenchers have got up and said that they've received this. And um, Fiona Patton had some time off from social media 
because of the um, communication that she's received. Now, uh, Andy Medic, uh, his chief of staff, uh, Georgie Purcell, has posted something, which was a letter with a uh, condom attached inside it. Now, it was a clean one. It wasn't a used one. So, you know, that sort of makes the last bit of the letter a bit, you know, a bit pointless. Um, not saying that they should. Uh, but, you know, and then Mr. Medic himself gets out and says that his family's received threats and all that sort of stuff. Now, to be clear, I don't think that um, threats should be dragged against anyone's family, um, especially, you know, if they're not in the public light. Uh, I know in previous things that I've done uh, and all that sort of stuff, my family did cop quite a bit of abuse because the cowards that went after them couldn't come after me, so they went after my family instead. Now, that is totally unacceptable as far as I'm concerned. And for people that have made comments on, on social media about Medic's family, I do, I've called them out and said that's unacceptable. Though, now, the thing about that is Andy Medic has per, um, politicised his family right from the time that he got into office. And his wife is also on the uh, committee of Animal Justice Party Victoria. So they've all been politicised. They've all taken some sort of, of public... Uh, presence in things so whether they're fair game I'm not sure uh, though considering what is happening I'm not saying that it's justified I'm just saying that it is understandable why people are saying things now um, going on with that is that there's going to be a whole lot of stuff coming out talking about the right wing extremists and here is mr medic himself saying uh, actually no he's, he's talking about the british mp now before i can under that one let me just play his quote when we look at uh, events in the uk where we've had members of parliament murdered uh, they didn't think anything was going to happen either and until it happened now there was uh, a murder of a british mp i think that was about 2016 was the 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 excluding the recent one the, the the most previous one now this recent one that happened this year i think it was a month or so ago that that um british mp was actually uh murdered by someone who uh, uh identifies with a particular terrorist organization that uh, most of the Western world is opposed to. Now, Mr. Medic won't say that because that doesn't fit his narrative. He just wants to continue the narrative that says things like this. And it's fueled, as I said, by this, this far-right activism. Now, let me just call this out as utter bullshit by Andy Medic. If there is far-right activism, what is far-right activism? Is it because he's so... So left-leaning that it's fascistic, that anything that is um, central or opposed to that is far right. I mean, you tell me what, Mr. Medic. Um, and if there is, you've got information to it as Parliament now. Um, Dr. Ratnam from the Greens has got a number of motions going through Parliament, attempt, you know, allegedly calling out uh, this this big um, boogeyman of far-right activism. Well, let's call it out. If there is genuine far-right activism going on in this state or in this country, it is your duty as a representative of ours to call it out and to identify it and to help 
get rid of it. Now, um, going on with that, it's, it's you know, it, 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 sorry, this is one of those things where depending on what you say, it, it, there's going to be sound bites taken from this and people are going to, oh, but you've done this and oh, you're doing that. Well, you know what? I'm not saying that it doesn't exist. It does. Obviously, it does because, hey, the age has spent who knows how long looking into it and found 12 people, and then that's a big thing that's coming. Um, isn't far-left extremism or um, uh, outlaw motorbike groups or organised crime, aren't they a bigger threat to the state uh, and the public than what... Uh, you know, I'm not saying that they're downplaying it, but, you know, there's equal threats going around and you can't just point it at one because that gives you the soundbite and and make everything else look, um, you know, as, you know, as, as not being a threat. Uh, now, uh, what am I going on with this one? Uh, there's a couple other soundbites that I want to get through. Um, so he talks about uh, his, uh, you know, views on the on the bill actually no i'm going to leave that one for another one i, I will d dedicate a whole new episode to dealing with andy medic and and his uh lack of understanding of the bill now i did ask for him for uh contact his office for an interview uh to appear on that so we could discuss it haven't heard back hopefully uh i'll try him again uh, during the week and see if i can get one if not i'll just do it all by myself so anyway going back to this thing um we're going to be set up you know um we collectively as victorians that's what I'm saying. And those opposed to this bill, we are going to be set up. There's going to be something coming that is going to be put down. I, I, you know, I hopefully while I'm recording this, it hasn't happened today on Saturday. Um, but, you know, I think that it's going to either happen on Tuesday or Wednesday uh, when Parliament's sitting or it's going to be something against Andrews himself. Now, then that's going to be used to justify why the bill, and then it's also going to be able to use to justify their um, terrorism bill that's passed as well. Now, I think that does similar things to what um, uh, the proposed pandemic bill has as well. Uh, you know, I, I that only just passed recently, so I haven't had a chance to, to read through that or not, uh, at the moment. But there is something coming. So people, um, you know, I'd love to say stay away and just write letters to your minister uh, or local member um, or even, the, you know, your uh, representative for your region in the upper house because it's the upper house that will be it. Um, you know, I have concerns that this bill is going to pass anyway because, uh, medic has indicated as that um, if any amendments come from the opposition or the um, the non-popular crossbench it's not going to be looked at um, and it's not going to be supported so I think that the only uh, support the amendments that will be able to go through will be the ones that come from Patton, Ratnam or Medic now um, he has made that clear when he has, uh, what is it, he said this one. That would have to gain the majority of the House, and I can't see them getting that. So that's when he's talking about uh, the the opposition putting in through amendments. So he's made it clear. He's supporting the legislation. He's supporting the legislation, and he's not going to consider any 
any amendments put by by the opposition. So now you know it, it's a time. I think that we we do need to keep the pressure on these people. Um, I'm saying write them letters, write them nice letters. Don't get threatening, don't abuse them or anything like that. And um, you know I've written a letter. I think I've written two to Mr. Medic. Um, is it one or two? I think at least one each to Patton and Rattenham. Uh, but there's going to be more coming. And, you know, because uh, Patton and Rattenham are uh, in my region, and I made it clear to them if they support the bill, well, I'm going to spend every day campaigning against them from the time that they support it. And, you know, there was that, um, it's not a veiled threat. I also said that if they do support it, then, uh, you know, I may even consider running against them, which is going to further dilute their vote. Uh, you know, I think that we need to make it clear to these people that if they do vote to support that pandemic bill in any form, that we will get out and campaign against them every single day. And if you're in a position to be able to, nominate if you can find, you know, and um, I'm not going to say don't join a party because I'm, I, you know, I, I'm not a big fan of party politics. Um, parties, political parties, are what the problem is. Um, we need more independence in there uh, for that. Because if you have a look at the way that the, our original constitution was written, even the Commonwealth one, it is for independent members. It is not for party politics. Otherwise, you know, it wouldn't be called the House of Reps. It would be called the House of Political Parties or or something like that. So. Uh, if you're in a situation, in, in a position to be able to, you know, stand as, a, as an independent. If you don't want to do it, find who your independents are. And this is going to be for the this, um, coming federal election too. Um, I've contacted my uh, local member, who's Andrew Giles. Uh, got no response from him. Um, I'm waiting to get blocked by him on Twitter, uh, as um, Guy Andrews has done. And, uh, Guy Andrews. That's good. Matthew Guy. Sorry, I mean, you know, Guy Andrews, hey, man, you know, it could be because they're all the same. Um, Matthew Guy's blocked me. Uh, Fiona Patton's blocked me because, you know, I do continually question her support um, and I'm not, you know, bowing down and blowing wind, you know, saying, oh, my God, yes, yeah, you're great, blah, 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 blah. We support you. You're doing such a wonderful job. No, you know, she's blocked me on Twitter. Well, that's fine. I'm still going to write letters to her. I'm still going to email her. Um, still going to do that to the rest of them as well. So I've uh, written to all my uh, representatives for the upper house in the region. None of them have got back to me. Uh, actually, no, my apologies. I haven't written to the Liberal one because, you know, I believe that they're going to vote against it anyway, so there's no need to do that. But I've written to the two uh, two Liberal par- uh, two Labor Party ones and the two um, the Fiona Patton and... Um, Ratnam. Uh, so anyway, we'll, we'll wait and see what happens. Uh, but yeah, this is the thing. We, we need to keep the pressure on them. Um, protesting, I don't think that we should be protesting in the city anymore because it's just going to make it so much easier for when this false flag attack does come, that it's going to be easier for him to justify it. Now, going on to that, have a look at what happened with that guy who was standing on the roof with the bow and arrow. Now, it was a bow and arrow. It wasn't a crossbow. And the the police were there. Um, I think they were protective services too. No weapons were drawn or anything. And they only moved towards the car when um, some woman went up to the car and attempted to talk him down with her iPhone, recording it or live streaming it. 
that was the only time that the police went in and then they just grabbed him and got him down off the roof of the car. Um, you know, so there's the potential for that too. So, you know, it, it, it's something's coming and they know something's coming so they're, they're not uh, on, you know, full alert that they should be. Um, so, you know, I do hope I'm wrong. Uh, if I'm not, I'm, I'm, you know, I think that we need to be aware of it. We need to, um, I'm not saying, you know, stop protesting, but we need to do something that is effective. We need, we need to do something that is efficient and, you know, you know, 20,000 people turning up. Yes, it is good. We've got a corrupt corporate press here that aren't going to spin it in our favor. It's always going to be spun in the favor of the regime because that's what the corrupt corporate press does. Uh, if we, you know, we're going to get anywhere, keep the pressure on them, uh, write them letters. Um, I'd say call, but hey, um, uh, Patton's voice, uh, phone goes straight to voicemail. Um, whether you leave a voicemail message or not, but you know, email and write letters. Email, um, you know, write letters. Whether you get a response or not, they're not going to respond to you. Just make you know, understand that. Um, but you know, keep the pressure on by doing that, not by protesting, because protesting isn't because all it takes is one or two people to start something bad, and then they'll just dismiss the whole crowd. Oh, yes, 20,000 people turned up. Oh, no, they were right-wing extremists because someone had a Trump flag. Or oh, what was it? There was footage today is someone had um, a gallows with three nooses on it. Like, really? One person turns up, he can condemn the whole lot? Um, and But that's how corrupt the corporate press is. They'll, they'll do anything to protect the regime. And the ruling class, you know, it the, the whole system protects itself. The ruling class will protect itself. That's why... There's not going to be any difference between what Matthew Guy says and what Dan Andrews says. Yes, you know, one may be a little bit softer than the other one, but hey, it's still going to come. Anyway, um, waffled a bit too much on this one of what I wanted to do. I didn't want it to be a big long one, but anyway, thanks for watching. Uh, thanks for watching. Thanks for listening. Um, you'll find the show notes on this one as um, the fifth dot estate uh, forward slash episode zero one. Uh, my name is Cameron Blue. This was the Fifth Estate Podcast. Uh, thank you for listening, and I hope you join me on the next one. Bye for now.